Next Chapter Podcasts. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It wasn't me. Put a nanny on the counter. It wasn't me. Is that on the is that album what, on the, this? The Shaggy song? Yeah, is Shaggy on this uh, top 500? It wasn't me. Oh, that's it. Turn over the counter. It wasn't me. But he doesn't. He goes. Dude, that, when, that, when, I was, when I used to DJ sure. at like weddings and yeah. that song came out, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. That sure. was the greatest era to DJ private parties and weddings. Yeah. It's like the music wasn't crappy. It was like hip hop was like fun. You had a lot of Nelly. You had mm-hmm. a lot of like, you know, who let the dogs out? Hey, ya. Oh my God. It was great, but that that song fucking just completely just blew it away. Come on, everybody! I mean, <laughs> with the cha cha slide. How'd that go? Everybody, clap your hands! Clap, 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 clap your hands! All right, y'all, to the left. Oh, I'll take it back now. Okay, one hop this time. Then it started getting weird. It'd be like, you go down to the floor, spread your asshole. You're like, what? Turn it out. Okay, the Holocaust didn't happen. Wait, what did he just say? Hate the blacks. What? Mama's keeper, do I'm gonna take my troubles away? Boom, do 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 do. I love this song so much. I want to see the bright lights tonight. I want to see them by Richard and Linda Thompson from their 1974 record of the same name. It's also number 471 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. You know what I hate more than anything is when I'm doing stand-up and because I'm not like a huge name yet, people would go, Josh, Adam Myers. They put Adam and Myers together. Yeah, I hate. They smushed my middle name and my last name together. Josh, Adam Myers. I'm like, yo, I got a three-namer. You can build that shit. You got to go, ha-ga-ga, ha-ga-ga-ga, ha-ga. Josh, Adam, ha. Don't they realize I'm the king of fleece? Don't they get it? Don't they understand that this ain't a game? I'm not playing. As I go through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the top 500 albums from 500, working our way down to one. Pay for your Spotify's, guys, because we got a long journey. Thank you, thank you, thank you if you've been doing the Instagram stories, everybody. I love you guys. I, I love I love the Fleece Army. I, I can't tell you guys how much I'm getting a kick out of uh, the comments and everything you guys do. So please, connect with me, man. I want you guys to tell me that you're digging this shit. So send me messages and send me all that shit. I'll respond to everything. If you send it to my personal, my gram, I'll get back on everybody. But also, if you're doing those Instagram stories, fucking keep doing that shit, man. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500. And tag me at Josh Adam Myers 
and a hashtag, The 500 Podcast. And why don't you go ahead and throw another hashtag, Fleece Army. Give me a 24-hour ad on your social media. I'm loving you. I'll love you for more, whatever that is. Today in music, for May 22nd, in 1959, English singer-songwriter Stephen Morrissey from, oh, you know it, The Smiths and solo fame is born. Widely regarded as an important innovator in the indie rock music scene, he has also attracted media attention for his advocacy of vegetarianism and animal rights. Also, the dude is celibate and asexual. Happy birthday, Stephen Morrissey. I had a good time listening to your record with my friend Christina P. If you haven't heard that episode, fucking listen to it. It's a perfect episode, man. I'm glad I like Morrissey now. You know what I mean? I don't think I ever would have listened to it if it wasn't for this podcast. I I knew a couple things, but I thought it was very whiny before. And now it's just, it is still whiny, but I now know that there's depth behind those whines. I'm not expensive for how boy. La la la, Manchester, Manchester, Manchester. Happy birthday, Morrissey. My guest this week is one of my best friends in the whole wide world. It is comedian, musician, podcaster, actor, everything extraordinaire, Avery Pearson. You know Avery from Historical Roast on Netflix, which comes out May 27th. The creator and host of The 88 Show, which is a music variety show at the Hollywood Improv. It's been at a bunch of festivals. He's also the co-host of parenting podcast, MFers. It used to be called Motherfuckers, but now it's just called the MFers podcast, which is a great podcast about parenting because Avery's a dad. And honest to God, you know him from the jam. You know him from almost everything I've ever done because I work with that guy so much. And I love him to death. And it was it was great uh, for him to come on the podcast and, uh, you know, be able to sit down and spend the afternoon with him. Because once he got a he, well, he got married before I met him, but then he had a kid and then that's they're gone. Your friends are gone when they have a kid. No more going to see movies. You can throw going out to movies is right out the goddamn window because that's not happening anymore. I got to go solo. But I love Avery, and you guys are going to love being uh, a part of this podcast. All right, about a little bit about the record. This shit blew my mind. According to LA Times, Richard Thompson is the finest rock songwriter after Dylan and the best electric guitarist since Hendrix. Rolling Stone magazine named him one of the top 20 guitarists of all time. But we're getting him when he's already married and fucking rocking out with Linda Thompson. This is a great record, man. That's all I can say. This is a dark record, but it's fucking great. And I, I, I prepped myself by listening to a song when I was trying to figure out who to book for this. And I put on I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. And I was like, fuck, man, this song is perfect. It is a perfect song. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this record. And hopefully you listen to it. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Richard and Linda Thompson. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500. Follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers and email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, 
Nothing left to say, but here we go. With number 471 out of 500 with I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight by Richard and Linda Thompson. Pearson, Avery Pearson, down by the drunkard Pearson. You didn't join in. I was thinking you were down <laughs> by the drunkard. Here we are, drunkard, and I am Avery, and you're Joshua. When did you become a fan of Richard and Linda Thompson? It's, it's really funny that you brought, you were like looking for someone to do this album. And I was like, I I basically grew up on this album. That's um, insane. Yeah, when I was a kid, my mom used to sing uh, songs to make me go to sleep. You know, yeah. so she would sing, you know, Baby Beluga or like a rock by Avery, and the third one was always <laughs> Well, I'm always little I mean, I remember yes. nights Hello. I would. Go to sleep. <laughs> yes, I'm always a little bit. I just wrote you, you really? put that music on. No, dude, I wanted to be on the podcast. You gave me Richard and Linda Thompson. I, know, I wanted no. to. I wanted to do a, a funny with with the audience. <laughs> Listen, this I did know the album. I have heard the songs, but I've had to look up the name of many of these songs, and I've done a little bit of research on it. So I'm excited to do it. And also, again, my mom, when I would go to sleep, every time I hear, well, the I just light up and then I knock out. It's kind of like a Pavlovian bell thing. I'll just fall asleep. You Wait, you're not into Renaissance music? <laughs> Pass me the ale and I want a wench to force to be my bride. Well, I'm always a poor little beggar gal. All right. So what did, what did you kind of like grow up listening to? When I was young, I grew up on the Beatles and musical. Yeah, you're very Beatley. Yeah, I'm very Paul McCartney Beatley. I'm probably in that sort of Which me. Paul McCartney actually said to you he he saw you play piano once yep. and he what what's tell me about that real quick. You want the long and short of that one? The short the short okay. of it. Uh, I used to play piano before the shows at the Hollywood Improv. And one night I'm playing, honestly, swear to God, I'm playing like Hey Jude and Let It Be, but sort of jazzy little doodly doodly doo versions of it. And I look over and there's Paul McCartney just watching and clapping like, oh, <laughs> he's just oh, into it. This guy's good. Can I get some more honey mustard for me for me chicken tenders? Another margarita. Don't forget the little umbrella. I'm here to see Chris D'Elia. Who's this young David Crosby looking fool? He looks like he has diabetes. He's definitely stage two. He's got a high sodium diet. Oh, so we we and I I actually got to walk up and talk to him afterwards and I told him I was like listen I mean I'm sure you get this all the time but you know I want to quit piano and my parents gave me an easy to play Beatles book and that kept me going and that's why I'm up here so it really is meaningful uh, to meet you and he says he um, said get away from me <laughs> who the fuck are you stop touching me and if you happen to have any mustard send her over <laughs> uh, no and then he said hmm I liked your chord progressions. And I mean, a Beatle told me that he liked my chord progressions. That's incredible. But and then you know what he said to me? What? 
So, all right, so the Beatles, yeah. and like, what what are you kind of music are you listening to now? Because this this album is in the Beatles vein, yeah, in, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of Sgt. Pepper in there. There's yeah. some horns, and you can oh, hear kind of this is some th- cool stuff. Yeah, like I, this might be Renaissance music, as I called it. This is like, but this album, it's folk rock. Yes, it's yeah. fo- but with on the Celtic yeah. kind of definitely like, rena- Renaissance fair kind of very Renaissance. I want to eat a giant turkey leg, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and I want to I want to say like things like skull. You know, I don't say you don't say cheers. This is a later Hosen album. album. Yeah, definitely. I, but this is the thing is that uh, it, it's it's something that out of all the records that I've done, like mm-hmm. I. I did a little research on this because I was like, can I find somebody? And I was like, I better have something to talk about. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no, I wanted to like to find somebody that was a fan of this record. But I was like, all right, this is I've, I had never heard. Of, had you mm-hmm. ever heard of Richard and Linda Thompson? I did. I I honestly did. Uh, had heard of them. So it, tell me about it. Uh, the, well, you know, it's just the, the, a lot of the music that you hear on the album. It's kind of like you're like, where have I heard that song before? And so I'd look it up and, and I knew of them. Uh, but hadn't really dove into the album until uh, I got cast on the 500 and really have gotten a lot out of it. And the biggest thing that I, I've got from this thing is it's a musical masterpiece. Yes, I, I would agree with the that. Music, 100%. It, the feeling, it's I, I feel like it's not about just the playing of it. It's not just about the writing and the lyrics. It's about the emotion, the feeling, the sentiment. It's a sentimental album. Very sentimental. Mm-hmm. That's, that was very well put. Thank you. I had never heard of him. Okay. <clears throat> so let's let's do, let's deep dive. All right, let's deep dive. Let's first find out who Richard Thompson is. Richard Thompson was born in 1949 in Notting Hill, one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's like that's every guy can watch Notting Hill, and then the second you hear Elvis Costello's "She," and then you start crying. You <laughs> I wear ironic glasses. <laughs> All right, well, so he uh, is, as a child, his father, an amateur guitar player, turned uh, turned him on to different musical mm-hmm. styles like Scottish folk and popular gypsy guitar jazz rock. Oh, man, and nothing... Uh... Django Reinhardt. He said he turned him on to Django Reinhardt. So he, cool. was, he, was, he witnessed, basically, the birth of rock and roll. And at 18, he became the founding member of a folk rock band, Fairport Convention, mm-hmm. on the strength of his sophisticated guitar playing. See, this is the thing, yeah. is that Richard is one of the most respected mm-hmm. guitarists. Rolling Stone named him one of the top 20 guitarists of all time. For sure. Yeah, I mean... You, you hear the way he strums and the way he puts his chord progressions together, and he adds bars. I don't know if you've like noticed this, but some, like there'll be an extra bar in there, and it's what take, makes the music different. It's not just a straightforward... You know, ABAB structure. There's a lot of interesting thing happening musically, which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. So he did, he was with that band, did about five albums, and then in two years, Richard left that band to go solo. Okay, now bring Later. in Linda Thompson. Hello. Right? She was born in Hackney, London, England. And Hackney sounds the- like one of your little made up words. Like, yak, <laughs> yak. You're going to hear a lot of yaks yeah. on this episode today, everybody. Okay, Hackney. Uh, yeah. that's, but by the mid 60s, she had professionally changed her name to Peters and was playing folk in clubs, singing advertising jingles during the day. After putting a few singles on her vocal reputation, led to her being asked to join a loose folk rock musical supergroup, The Bunch, whose players included uh, many former convention members like Ashley Hutchings, Sandy Denny, and Richard Thompson. Boom. Okay. 
Yep. After singing on Richard's first solo album in 71, the two of them started dating, and then the newly married Richard and Linda recorded their first album, I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. So let's just dive mm-hmm. into this record. Excited. Our album mm-hmm. is number 471 out of 500. It's the debut album, I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight, by Richard and Linda Thompson, released... And this is crazy. Yeah, this is cool. This is kind of cool. It's just released in April. Doesn't give me a date. 1974, produced by Richard Thompson and John Wood. I got an anecdote about the album. Can I tell you what happened? No, go ahead. Uh, It was supposed to be released the year before. However, uh, there was a petrol issue in the UK, and they didn't have enough petrol to make vinyl, so they waited a year. And you can imagine, after creating that, the anticipation... And we will dive into the album, but it wasn't a commercial success already. So you can just imagine the buildup of like this guy. He's no, he's a genius. I mean, he doesn't sit around going saying he's a genius, but he has. He knows he wants to make music. He knows he's creating great music. He knows he's done a good job, and he's putting everything into this. And then he's got to wait a year, and then doesn't take off. And it's only later appreciated. Well, let, let's, let me let me spin this back to you because like let's put this in in the forms oh of. No, no, no. In forms yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of you becoming a comic because you yeah. weren't a comic uh, no. off the jump. You were an actor. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So how long from your decision to, to, to start into the entertainment industry did comedy make its way into what you were going to do? I always wanted to be an actor since I was a little kid. It was a calling. I just I just knew I was doing plays at a young age and uh, loved it. And I loved becoming these characters and telling stories which is one of the reasons I really love this album because it's so many different storytellers about various things like boy little beggar girls but uh, back in the uh, so <laughs> you definitely uh, were in some renaissance plays I, I bet like yeah. ones that definitely made people question your sexuality <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah I was in um, Murder at the Cathedral I was actually I played a poor little beggar boy in Murder in the Cathedral everybody plays a poor little beggar yeah. boy in their in yeah. their theater history unless you're like here's you your know, smock <laughs> yeah, unless you're one of the top people. Uh, your line is, oh heavens, oh heavens. Like if Kenneth yeah. Branagh never played a poor beggar boy. Yeah. And if he did, it was when he was really young. Yep. So really I, young. I really wanted to be an actor and I worked extremely hard at it and I went to arts elementary and high school and got a BFA in Montreal from Concordia and then I went to New York and studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse and I gave it my all in New York and I did a lot of really cool shows there. Um, a play called Monster, a solo uh, play about the darkness and everyone and the different and I played like 15 different characters over the course of 75 minutes and you know it was a play that I when I grew up I really wanted to to do one day never thought I could but I got to and um, I got to do a lot of really cool downtown theater uh, but much like this album I wasn't uh, commercially successful and it really um, it still it still hurts because uh, I put a lot into it and um so at age 29, after living in New York for about eight years, I moved back in with my parents to a different country, to Toronto in Canada, and uh, really like had to swallow an ego pride and start over and like really reassess everything. I uh, lost a bunch of weight, was drinking a bit, and which is, we'll find out later in the album, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I, um, I reconnected with... Uh, an ex from New York and sort of was doing some plays in New York and then went to LA on a vacation, really liked it and just stayed. So I'm kind of like on vacation now. Um, And then what happened was we were living a few streets away from the Hollywood improv 
and I needed a job. And so my wife, Mary, uh, said, why don't you just go, go get a job? And at the time, I was pretty like, you know, I enjoyed moving to L.A., but I was pretty depressed from my experience in New York. And she said, like, just go there, get your $10 an hour job, stand at the door, and just be nice to everybody and just have fun. And That's where re- I met you. Yeah. And it really changed everything in me. And I just I adjusted. Like, this door guy's a pussy. <laughs> He's just, I was. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I, I was. I just wanted to be, I all just wanted to like, I know it sounds cheesy, but I just wanted to like give love and be happy. And, and I didn't, I was like, had a girlfriend, so I didn't have to worry about like trying to pick up girls. So I could just be like, I could just not worry about anything like that and just be nice to everybody. And I got there, they had a grand piano on the stage for some reason. I have no idea, like, why is there a grand piano on a comedy stage? But this, something drew me to this club and I started playing and that's where we met. That is. And then, and then that's where I brought you in. Yeah. So it's a, you, you that, did. So there's a long journey to get to, to get into comedy. It's just something that didn't come expectedly. And it's kind of yeah. like this record because it did, they, they weren't planning on making this. So this is, they meet in this mm-hmm. other group. Um, and then they decide to make probably one of the most depressing, lyrically <laughs> yeah. heavy records that I might have ever heard. This is, and it's not a bad record at all, according to the L.A. Times. Richard Thompson is the finest rock guitar after Dylan and the best electric guitarist after Hendrix. Wow, that is insane! I had never heard of this guy. And this is what I think is interesting about the album. This is not a um, quick-moving, musically album. There's a lot of patience. There's a lot of uh, weight and time and space in it. And I think that was sort of the product of the 60s, and, and this was, was made in 74. So there was a lot of cool albums coming out. And they, they had a lot of competition. I mean, like Eric Clapton and Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and Alice Cooper. Like These were the people that were putting out albums at the same time. But this is a very um, grassroots feel album where you get the sense of what what I think a lot of people say about him is that he you can hear where he comes from, but then he just turns it into this whole other experience. Something to talk about, and then we're diving into this record, okay? okay? Right when this album came out, he told the British music newspaper NME, it's a bit of a down record, but that was accidental. We tried to balance it, but something obviously went wrong somewhere. There are a lot of slow numbers, but I don't think that's bad. It's still enjoyable. There are some optimistic songs. We're not a doomy band. We try to cover aspects of our experiences. So it sounds like they tried to make a positive record, and then it just, it just that's what they were writing. I mean, that it just started coming out. And to be honest with you, like you said, man, these might be down songs, but like some of them are upbeat, fun, mm-hmm. really full of life. Yep. So let's start with the record. So the album opens with When I Get to the Border. And mm-hmm. when this first started playing, I was like, fuck, man, is this all going to be like river dance type shit? <laughs> But then immediately I dug the song because even though it's got a mandolin, even though it's got all those pieces for the Renaissance music, even though it is Renaissance music, uh, I immediately loved the chorus of this. So, Peter, play 38 seconds in. Pine with a name that looks like mine. To say I drowned in. 
Monday morning closing in on me. I'm packing up, I'm running away to where nobody picks on me. Jesus, this sounds like my childhood. Did you, did you get picked on? Oh, did I? You got, I mean, look I, at me. I mean, I, I pick on you now, but... But I nothing's mean, I still can't defend myself. <laughs> He's the only person that I make fun of. That's how you like friends, you just bust balls and you get like... <laughs> yeah, it hurts. He cuts right down to the... Right, right through the fat. <laughs> I got picked on a lot. Yeah. I was... It, I didn't... I had a, lot, a hard time uh, making friends, probably up until... I started smoking when I was 16 or something. I just had a problem, like, really identifying with people and accepting being friends. I just made fun of a lot in elementary school until I, like, really, that's <laughs> really until I got into acting, which was, like, my passion, and then that got taken away from me. You know, it's just, like, it's so sad. It get taken away from you. I, I, you keep saying that. It's I like mean, you, it's you're, just, you have an audition after this. It's for a commercial, dude. Uh, uh, dude, don't look at it like that. You should. You, if you book it, man, like I, it's a it. job. That's a it's job. A job, yeah. Dude. That's it's, not like. I mean, I'd love to book every commercial and make a lot of money doing that. But like, I want to be a regular on a TV show. I want to do Broadway. I want to do like great roles. And you will. And I believe that you know. But like when I was a kid, I was like growing up, and that was like something that really saved me from loneliness and depression was playing piano and doing plays and the first. Uh, the first play I did was uh, Wizard of Oz. It was the doorman. Who goes there? I was the first door guy. That was it? You were the f- that was when you were a door guy? Too. <laughs> I was so a door guy. Were you yeah. still getting picked God, on God, I was always that? a door guy. <laughs> were you, were you still getting picked on around that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had these two friends, Avinash and Tal. Shout out to Avinash and Tal. Sub Avinash, Tal. Uh, they were mean to me. They stole my Garbage Pail Kids cards, but it's okay. Those were your, your friends did that? My friends did that. Did you cut them out of your life? Uh, how did that happen? I guess so. I don't know how they drifted away. Yeah, they might. They weren't in school in a couple years later. That was their big score. They, they just they, they took your cards and then dipped <laughs> later. out. Later, we've been waiting to get stinky peeped <laughs> from you for so long. Yeah. So uh, when I get to the border, uh, your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's it's a sad way to start off the album. Yeah, because clearly this is about death and the promise of anything better waiting there well, than it, what the cruel world has to offer. It starts with dirty people take what's mine. I can leave them all behind. They can never cross that line when I get to the border. You know, I, I think there was a little bit of like, because he talks about Monday morning, Monday morning. I'm associating that with going to work. And, uh, you know, dirty people take what's mine. Maybe that's like, his bosses or at his job he's not making enough money or you know it just he wants to be in a if you see a box of pine he's talking about getting buried like it does get very dark but then it is against Monday morning Monday morning coming in on me as Richard told Rolling Stone in 1979 if you don't believe in anything beyond the solidity of this world then the world is a terrible place there's no victory in this world in the end all you can do is get out of it and the way to get out of it, as far as I can see, is to look inside yourself. Now, it's 100% true what he's saying. Yeah. But he's basically t- still talking about getting out of life. Uh, what will you absolutely not miss about life? Me? Yeah. I will, what will I not miss? Yeah. Um, t- violence. Like, just viol- the violence around the world. But you don't experience, Empire. you barely experience that. Well, I don't experience as a person, but, like, I, as a human being, I, I have to sympathize with that. I mean, I, I do, I, 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 war, you know, any of the, any greed, you know, negative human aspects that make us whole, 
as as these sent, as these beings but like i the news like the people that are that are in charge and just just ki- killing people i mean i it's i will not miss i will not miss that yeah uh, I won't miss the uh, the traffic light right down here. Yeah, at the that's, corner of, that was corner my number two. Franklin and Gower. Yeah, because I have to pull out of my my uh, my apartment, and when I get down there, it's really short, and they let every other intersection mm-hmm. on that on that little light go. They get like thirty to forty seconds to get right. through. We get five seconds, and then it turns back to red. Yeah, can I change mine? Sure. People that don't signal. Come on, that's man. what that's what you want to. Yeah, I, I will not miss people that don't signal. I I just became a signaler. I used to not. You're be a, a signaler. Uh, You're a Dirk signaler. I'm a, I'm a sing, <laughs> signaler. You're a Saint signaler. I, I used to be a non signaler. Oh. Uh, but then, where do all these weird words that you say come from? Why do you say gibbly boo? It's Angelo. Yeah, it's Angelo used yeah. to used to make up funny words and and it was like he'd do scoodly bop biddly. It was all that stuff. He was dude. a bibbity bop biddly boop. That's, that's why I, I connect with you so much because yeah. I see a lot of Angelo. You're both in overweight. You're, you're both overweight. You yeah. both probably had diabetes. He, yeah. <laughs> you, but you both just very very lovely people. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's just like you, there's a lot of love. You have a lot of love to give. You know. Yeah. So so the same with Angelo. So I, I, that's just these little things that I do that just kind of keep. His name alive, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Doing this podcast, that's 100% the, I'm doing this because of Ange. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. This then goes... Okay, I sound so Maryland. This then goes (laughs) into the Cavalry Cross. That's right. What'd you think? Uh, so the Calvary cross, I, I'm assuming they're talking about Jesus's cross and what that moment is, is, um, it's that moment in time where you have to decide who you are. It's, and it's interesting that he puts it at the beginning of this and that's where Jesus was, right? Like he had to decide if he's going to be like, it wasn't me, but I'm on the counter. It wasn't me. Is that on the, is that album what, on this? Is the Shaggy song? Yeah, is Shaggy on this uh, top 500? It wasn't me. Oh, that's it. on the counter. It wasn't me. But he doesn't. He goes Dude, like, that, when that when I was when I used to DJ sure. at like weddings and yeah. that song came out. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that sure. was the greatest era to DJ private parties and weddings. Yeah. It's like the music wasn't crappy. It was like hip hop was like fun. You had a lot of Nelly. You had mm-hmm. a lot of like you know who let the dogs out. Hey ya. Oh my god. 
It was great, but that that song fucking just completely just blew it away. Come on, everybody! I mean, <laughs> with the cha cha slide. How'd that go? Everybody, clap your hands! Clap, 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 clap your hands! All right, y'all, to the left. Oh, I'll take it back now. Okay, one hop this time. Then it started getting weird. It'd be like, go down to the floor. Spread your asshole. You're like, what? what? <laughs> Turn it out. Oh, okay, I guess the Holocaust that. didn't happen. Wait, what did he just say? Hate the blacks. What? <laughs> what? Uh, Calvary Cross. So that I think this is the moment, and it's interesting that he puts it the second song, right? Uh-huh. First he's talking about the outside world isn't working for him. Then he's like, okay, now I have to make a choice. And the Calvary Cross, to me, this is, again, this is just my interpretation, it's that moment and you decide which path you're going to go down. For me, I'm currently going down a positive route not just positive but I, I really am trying to be present and I'm, I'm working on it every week uh, and then we can go and then but he goes down a dark road so I just think it's really interesting and we'll debate that yeah too, so alright so just to find out what a cavalry cross is it's a Latin cross on three steps the three steps are understood to symbolize the court the three cardinal virtues of faith hope and love and sometimes charity Mm. Uh, in what order of importance from highest to lowest would you put faith, hope, and love? Faith, hope, and love. Well, love is the most important. Um, wow. I think faith is the thing. I th- God, hope, I think, is the thing that I've leaned on too much, but faith is the thing that I need to lean on more. So the most important thing would be love and then faith. And then hope, because faith, I think, hope is something that you get when things aren't going so well, but faith is something that you have no matter what, and it's the thing that carries you through regardless of your hope. And the love is the thing that delivers you. So, love, faith, and hope. Yeah, I, I kind of. It's hard to not put love first because love just makes to. you a lot happier. Like if you, if you, you have to project that at least. Oh yeah, if you if you love yourself, then you can love other people. Yeah, you know, and you have to love who you are and love mm-hmm. all the you know the mistakes that you've made and hopefully you've learned from them. Um, faith. I kind of agree. Love, faith and hope. I mean, and then the fourth one I think would be, uh, chicken tender. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Love, faith, hope, Honey mustard chicken tenders. And I'll take pesto pasta. I love this song, actually. I it's love the three song. chord verse, because mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of this thing I would write, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would write, uh, you know, Paul Little You would write that. Uh, but this is heavy. Peter, play the opening verse for me. I was under the Calvary Cross. According to Richard, Cavalry Cross is about a muse or about anything. It's about a drive that you might not want, but it's there and you're a slave to it. Who or what is your muse? Hmm. God, that's a great question, man. I mean, I struggle with that. I like, I, I, I think me, I'm trying to, I'm trying to express something. I think the audience, uh, I, I really... Yeah, I think that would be my answer. But I, I'm struggling right now with creativity, and I'm struggling with 
not that I'm, I feel like I'm doing too many things right now and I need like to focus on what is essential. Um, I, I'm doing like maybe five to eight projects at any given time and I really feel like I'm overwhelmed and not dedicating myself. I'm very excited and happy about the place I am, the opportunities I'm given, but I just really think I need to cut some fat right now in many ways. Yeah. But, uh, well, what are you a slave to? Success. I'm a slave to like being successful. Like I want, I want that. But I, it, I think it's like when you want and you, when you want, you create. But when you need something, you just destroy. It. And I feel like that's the, the fine line that I'm, I'm balancing between. So I'm trying to like do things and continue to work for a muse. I really am. A, I want to create great things. I just want it great. I do multiple. I'm like multiple disciplinary artists. I do. I act, write, sing, produce. Uh, multiple different types of art forms, comedy, musical theater, comedy music, act, you know, just drama, anything. And I feel like I've just, I, I can do a lot of things and I believe in myself. And I'm just too spread out that I, I really am, I have a strong urge to like focus on something. I, I think I want to create an album. I think I want to create an album that is like equally funny and heartfelt. Like a true... Like not just like like hit it like with punches, but like I just something beautiful, that's funny, too, at the same time. That's that's this is good. I'm glad we're doing this. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make an album. This is, this is getting you to think about all that stuff. It is. It's good. I, I I you need this. You need to talk. You need to talk. You can't just like be on a track. It's why people go crazy at their nine to fives because you're just doing the same thing. And even though we're doing amazing creative th- stuff in comedy, but like it's like a track. It's like okay, uh, Monday I I go to the, the comedy store and I play piano. Tuesday um, I do a live stream and then I do my podcast. And Wednesday uh, once a month I I have three varying shows on Wednesday once a month. So those are all my Wednesdays and Thursdays I watch my and then Fridays I go out with my wife and then Saturdays I usually have shows and then Sunday I'm like watching Game of Thrones by the way oh my god <laughs> this is the kind of music that would be played it would like King Joffrey would yeah. be like he's like poor little beggar boy play the song that I want and I hear. get to the bar <laughs> that's very good now kill him wait what with this crossbow Woo-hoo-hoo. girl derobe <laughs> derobe girl yeah. a great line from this song mm-hmm. I'll hurt you till you need me. Yikes. No, I like that because it's talking about learning from from the pain. Do you know what I mean? It's a deep, actually a deep, deep cut line. What's a painful moment that has taught you the most? Um, I was, let's go, I can go recently. Uh, I think I was like, I was with my son. And he's two, and I wasn't like he—he he wanted he. It was time to go to bed. He had brought up the idea to go to bed, but I, I like just was trying to get him to go to bed. And if anyone has a kid out there, you know it's like it's tough when they're two. You got to there's a lot of the terrible twos. It's you know it's just they're they're so intelligent. They are sponges. They're more intelligent. They're, the stuff that's happening in their brain is much more active than what we are. They're much more intelligent than we are. Yeah, because everything's fucking new to them. The first yeah. year is a wash. It's a wash, because you're just a slug. You're just like... Yeah. But then he's like, I can walk around. I can now do. he's like, hello, so, daddy. I am a two-year-old boy, fully formed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sponging. I, so what happened recently was I read an article on Fatherly about it's called it, what you do, what the tact in being with, with your kid is to get on their level. And so Cole's like two and a half feet high. I'm like, you know, six feet. 
So he was upset, and I literally got down and just really focused in with him and looked him in the eyes and listened to what he was saying, which, it, you know, this and I want to like, I wanted to play with this toy for five more minutes and then go to bed. And, and I really just communicated with him by like, like really listening. And that's been the thing that's been the most informative to me as a performer, as a creator, and as a person that I'm, I work on all the time. And I'm not perfect, but like, even as a piano player to the, all these comics that I play on stage with them and then they talk and I've had to learn to take a backseat and listen. And that's made me a more effective performer because when I do speak, it's, it's usually like I'm throwing darts and I'm doing really well because there's all these that. So that's a tact is like get on the level. So what I do with comedians is these are like, I look at all you guys as like children <laughs> You're, because we all are right. Like, but we're just a little older and dying quicker, but Everyone is just trying to get this thing out and say this thing. And if I can support it, that's cool. You know, that's that's a beautiful thing. So I think my the thing I'm I've gathered is to get on their level. Get on the level. Yeah. Mm. All right. Withered and died. Mm-hmm. I love this song. Yep. This is sad as fuck though. Mm-hmm. Uh Peter, play thirty six seconds in. Once I was bending the top. I mean, Linda's voice is just, it's so haunting. And and then this lyric really, really got to me. Count one to ten, and he's gone with the rest. My dreams have withered and died. Just, yeah. I do love the solo in this song. Now, this is a classic, tragic English folk lament about lost love and broken dreams. Here is a perfect example of how Linda's powerfully direct voice completely avoids the overly sentimental folk music tropes and brings a balance of strength to Richard's bleak lyrics. What do you think? I think it's like it's like almost like a country song, you know. And no, I feel that, and it's got that like old school country, like pre Willie Nelson, even you know, just like very storyteller and. Um, I think she's talking about the country failing her, and she wants the she wants to be a butterfly to live for a day and then float away. I mean, it's just it's sad. I mean, this is what this is a perfect example of what we're talking about when this album gets sad. And I I don't think I think there's like suicidal undertones to it, and uh, it's really it's tough to hear. I mean, and it's part of the thing about music being able to deliver you. Um and help you through tough times. I mean, this is really a good example of of that of just finding of that time when you're like, I'm gonna just drink this and then I'm gonna. It's a big drinking album, yeah. yeah. What? I mean, you, yeah, it's what, the culture. It's like it's this. These are all like pub songs. 
You'd Very hear. pubby. Well, I love pub music. I so do I. Listen, I'm not saying I don't like this. I, I love this song, mm-hmm. but I mean the fucking the name and the chorus of the song are my, my dr- dreams, dreams have, have withered, withered and died. died. I we, feel it. Well, what? Which one of your dreams has withered and died? Well, we were talking a little earlier. Like my hope was just to like get on a track where I was going to become a successful actor. Like by now, for sure. And while I'm doing like other stuff that's amazing and I'm incredibly passionate about and love doing, I found my creativity to it. Like that was something that didn't go as as it was planned. It it um, I guess in my head withered and died for a second. And and, and you're right. You know, like it, it'll come back in the way that I want it to, because I'm like imagining it working. And it will. So the three M's, dude. Meditation, manifestation, and masturbation. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. Remember when I say close your eyes, see where you're at, check in with yourself. Are you one through ten? You want to be a ten. That then goes into probably the most accessible song on this record. I want to see the bright lights tonight. Right in the midst of this depression fest comes a party song. It is. When everything sucks, it's time to get this was down. The, this was the days Who Let the Dogs Out. Yes, this is definitely uh, Who Let the Dogs Out or Mambo Number no. 5. <laughs> in folk music, this was their Mambo Number no. 5. It was Musically, it's an almost funky, jubilant horn section and harmony-rich celebration that, to me... Sounds rem- like Sgt. Pepper. I-, I think it sounds like the band. I see the okay, band yeah, yeah, is yeah. way yeah. more. Uh, well, they were all influenced, but I'm just saying that horn. This was the song that stuck out to me uh, right from the beginning. Peter, play one minute, 26 seconds in. This is just a song uh, about, like, being happy. It's, like, about a great night out. What's a great night out for you? Like, what what do you do for, like, a great night? What makes you happy? Well, there's two. I would say there's two great night outs. One is I love just getting a night where I can go out with my wife and just, like, be with her. You know, we don't get to hang out as much as we used to when we had, before we had our son or, even you know, before all this comedy stuff happened. So I, I love just hanging out with her and like just connecting with her. And I love her so much and she's just the best. Um, and then I also love like our long nights when we do, we get to like perform and be goofballs and idiots on stage together and then go to Canners till four o'clock in the morning because for some reason we think that's a good idea to go there. It is. It's home. It, it is home. Um, what about you? Doodly do. A great night out for me. Dude, it's just working. It's literally doing shows. That's that's the happiest yeah, I am doing stand up. You've put um, so much in this year. I actually, I really got to commend you. Is I don't know if anyone realizes, but for oh, most of the time, actually, that I've known you, you've been very uh, project oriented in terms of like goddamn comedy jam or like getting the show on the road. And you did. And once you did and did the show, like you got you did that and you did it out of your system. It wasn't like got out, but it was like it was passed sort of passing through your system. But then you really doubled down on doing stand up comedy. And I mean. You know, you're just someone who practices what they preach. You get out there. You've been doing your time. And like a year and a half later, even though you've been doing comedy for almost a decade, like 
you're really getting rewarded from putting that time in. You know, Thank you, the, buddy. The Bill Burr show. No problem, dude. Wow, you really do Thank sound you, like buddy. a radio. <laughs> and you're also destined to be this howling Hank. I mean, you are howling yeah. Hank. You are this like, oh, oh yeah, everybody baby. on the ones and the twos. Everybody, All five, right. six, seven, eight. <laughs> I can imagine you as being like a strip club DJ. Like, Me? I'd be yeah. like, okay, guys, be respectful. Okay, the ladies are here. They have names. <laughs> this is uh, Carol. Okay, it's her Christian name. Her Christian. She's like, hey, Dad, don't say that. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. Sassafras. Okay, guys, this is Sassafras. Um, just tip kindly and do not touch it. <laughs> Enjoy this next track. It's Mambo number five. If you guys One, like two. woo-woos and tushies, <laughs> throw him money on yeah. the stage. If you guys got to make a poo-poo, it's in the back. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I got to get out of here. My son's about to wake up. Uh, it's four o'clock in the morning. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Anyways, have a great time. Enjoy the back boom-boom room. <laughs> the back boom-boom <laughs> room. Uh, what's, a, what's a happy memory? What's one of your happiest memories? Because that's what the song's about, but making happy memories. Yeah, my happiest memory or a happy memory is, um, man, I just keep being pulled back to being on stage and doing that. You know, when I did the play with my wife, actually, that's a really good example of everything coming together. As I did a play with my wife and it was a play I wasn't supposed to do. I was supposed to move back to Toronto and I decided, I was in New York, and I was deciding if I got cast in this play, I was going to stay for the play, do one last play in New York, or if not, I was going to go. And I got cast and I just was able to do everything that I loved at the same time. And I was able to perform in a really creative play in downtown New York. And I met my wife there and she got to like, she actually saw my best moment in theater, which was when I just really let myself go and I couldn't remember the lines on stage. I just made it up and it was hysterical. And I couldn't, I, it was like, I couldn't remember what the words were. And all I remember was like life, art and music was in there somewhere. So I just was like life, art, <laughs> <laughs> music of course, and you're, everybody's <laughs> laughing because they know you're like oh he think he's forgotten it but he's, he's so yeah. in it and then the, the director in the back is like what the fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. what the fuck you're ruining this production of Arsenic and Old Lace <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that's one of my fondest memories is making my wife laugh and falling in love with her there Dude, you're such a pussy. What's yours? Uh, this time I popped a butt pimple, and uh, you know it was on there for a couple months. But once I got it off, that's yeah. a good question. What is a really happy memory for me? Tell an Angela story. Um, one of my favorite me- like memories I've ever had with him, and there there have been many. Um, there was a time when I used to live on the street. I used to live on Beechwood, <clears throat> and uh, I live with Byron Bowers, and. We lived a little bit down the hill, and the problem was parking was such a pain in the ass. If I didn't get the tandem spots we had, I would have to park up the hill, and I live under the Hollywood sign, and there's a lot. It's a nice area, but there's, like, the parking can be a bitch down low, but until you get up towards the houses, and Angelo only smoked weed for, for like, between the hours of, like, 2 a.m. to like 5 a.m. Like he I only that. like he just only wanted to smoke super late. And uh did it get was he really did he get like too fucked up to No, to, to... he just was he's very high anxiety. He's very in, 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 like an anxious person and just naturally had a mm. lot of like, you know, like uh not insecurities, but just he would he just had a lot of panic attacks, you know, he was a panicky dude. And one of my my favorite moments was one time I got, I went into this weed store and I was like I'll take the strongest weed you have and he was like he was like it's venom OG and I was like perfect I'll take a gram of that and so Angelo and I had to we was gonna spend the night and we drive up the hill 
and we get, I mean, we had to park so far away from my apartment. And I remember we just sat in the car and I was like, you just want to smoke a bowl here? And him and I smoked. We each took like two hits. I think I put like a dab of hash on it too. And we probably sat in my car for an hour and 20 minutes just laughing. And it was just the best. Yeah. Like I think about that so much. We were we were just but to say we were both so comfortable and so high, and it was just this beautiful, beautiful memory. And now that he's gone, uh, I hold on to it, you know, because I still can feel it. Like I can, I remember just like I remember everything about that 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 experience. And that give walk, us a give a quick uh, Angela joke. Um, uh, my dad said, "There's no I in you need to play football, faggot." <laughs> it's just brilliant, just yeah. brilliant jokes. Check out Angelo Bowers on any uh, on any of his clips on YouTube. There's not many, but they were just—they're all so funny. They're horrible quality, but they're all so good. Yeah. All right, that then takes us into down where the drunkards roll. Uh, th- this is the saddest episode of Cheers ever. This is <laughs> Peter. Play the intro to the song. See the boys out walking. The boys they look so fine, dressed up in green velvet. Their silver buckles shine. Soon. Right back to heavy shit. They give us one good one, one uplifting one, and then it's right back to heavy shit. I like my favorite part about the song is the deep harmony. Down by the drunkard's road. You can be a gambler who never drew a hand. You can be a sailor who never left dry land. You can be Lord Jesus. All the world will understand. Down where the drunkards <laughs> roll, man. Like where they fall down and yeah, roll down. Dude. Damn, dude. They're, they're, I mean, they're getting fucked up. And Richard this Thompson is, yeah, this is, is dude, not doing well. This is. Uh, this was recorded uh, in the 14th century. This, <laughs> although this seems like an insulting characterization of people that drink too much, it's actually about the acceptance in their shared frailty. Mm, it's beautiful, and this the music is gorgeous. What is your experience with dealing with drunk people? Dealing with drunk people. I had a friend who was drinking, and he drank the night before my wedding. And I had given him an... I'm not going to say obviously who it is, but I had given him an honor during the wedding. What was it? Usher? To give me my ring. To give me my rings. Yeah. And And he... Anyways, he was upset that he didn't get to, like, say a speech. 
but I was too worried. Because <laughs> you knew he would get drunk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the night before my wedding, he found out other people were doing speeches, and he yelled at me. And that was my experience with it. Um, I haven't really... I don't have it in my family, really. And um, I feel I, I'm i in control. I could drink and smoke weed for purely recreational. It's not an escape at all. And I really feel uh, happy that I can do that. And it's not like I need a drink. But I, I really feel for those who do because we all have our crutches and stuff. You know, I have my own for sure. Um, but it's... Uh, you know, it's it's hard, and I, you know, had to step aside from that person for a while because it was like I, I couldn't help him. I tried to, like, I told him about it. I said, you know, you need support, I, I, that which I'm not trained for, and you need to get real professional help, and, yeah. Did he? I believe so, but he really should be. Didn't you, didn't you tell me that he still gave a speech at the wedding? Oh, yeah, he took the mic. <laughs> he dropped off the rings and took the mic and started saying that he was the reason that I that I uh, moved to Los Angeles, which is just not... Or no, he's saying that my wife was a reason, and which wasn't true. I, I went moved to Los, I moved to Los Angeles because I wanted to be there, and then my wife and I reconnected, and it just, like, it was really uncomfortable. Uncomfortable and sad. Um... But yeah, I, I haven't, I fortunately haven't had to deal with a lot of that in my life, but that was one thing where I had to be like, no, I'm going to be a good friend and let him know how his actions affected this people because I, not to like make him feel bad, but to hopefully give him a signpost to get better. All right. Funny fact, Richard stopped drinking after he recorded this song. Wow. What vices, you talked about vices, what vices have Food. you quit? Oh, quit? Or, or tr- are you possibly trying to food? I'm not trying to, but I'm trying. Oh, well, I am. I'm trying to eat healthier. But I, yeah, I, I, my crutches. I'm like heavily like I can't help myself in front of a bowl of pasta. It's like it's it's the closest thing to an actual like legitimate addiction. But I mean, food addiction is an addiction. But like, yeah, I just cannot control myself. Dude, food is 100 percent an addiction. Yeah. It's just not as detrimental. Well, I guess it is detrimental. So are you doing stuff to control it now? Like to try to control your, your eating? I mean, yeah, you, you I mean, don't eat bad. You no. just don't. You just eat very carb heavy. I do. Yeah. No. I'm, that's what I do. But I'm also, I also eat a lot of vegetables. I have salads and I do. It's just, you know, like it should, you know, I don't know. Whatever. It's, it's a thing where it's like, you know, I am happier when, than when I'm like, focused on like diet and working out like i just you know i don't know well obviously i have a lot of vices but i think i've quit pretty much every single yeah, one it's of amazing. them amazing i mean i i was thinking about that the other day i was like am i you know because drinking just seems it's done because i haven't drank in going on 13 years on a regular basis that's not saying i didn't have like a couple fuck-ups but i didn't like it was just because i wanted to do coke so i was like all right i'll drink tonight i'll drink for the next two days while i just do this you know quarter of coke um, but I was thinking the other night, it was like, would I go back to opiates? Like what would make me go back? Please don't. Oh, I'm not. You saw me Oof. at the, yeah. You saw me when it was like full Man. blown. Remember we were in DC and Oof. like I did heroin. <laughs> just unbelievable. Like you're like, just like, oh, I, cause I had just, kn- I'd known Josh for a year and a half and I was like, oh, he's this guy. Great. What Let's- do you mean? Like I'm, I'm the drug addict. Yeah. Who, who does pills? Like what do you? 
doing a lot dude. of people do pills i know because we have demons that we don't want a lot of people that people probably that are listening that are probably taking them now because they just they there's something that's that they don't like about themselves that's why that's why they're addicts you know you gotta seek help no and i have that's what i'm saying well, i'm saying I have. to people who need help i mean it's just there's uh <laughs> there is something at the end of the <laughs> rainbow you know like it's you you ha- you you have to love yourself. I mean, it's just th- choose positivity, choose love. That's how I think about that. I completely agree with you, I, um, but I know everyone. I, I but here's it's a the journey, thing. man. It's harder than you think. I, I know. I, I don't I mean, think it's not hard. I don't think it's not hard. And I have been gifted a really good life, and I, I don't have anything to complain about. It. I'm I'm a very fortunate, lucky person. Very lucky. Yeah. But and so that's oh, that'll be the always the first thing. But like. Yeah, you know, like I, I feel for you if you're in pain, and I, I wish for you to choose love and choose uh, positivity. Listen to Brody Stevens. Yeah, you got choose, it. Choose positivity. All right, we sing Hallelujah. Yeah, this is another song that features the crumb horns, <laughs> a Renaissance <laughs> instrument that immediately makes anything sound like it's classical. <laughs> it's a very crumb horn heavy album. Yeah, that's a lot of crumb horn in this uh, album. Peter, play uh, the chorus for me. Yeah, play the scootily do fiddle. And we'll sing hallelujah, the turning of the year. And we work all day in the old-fashioned way till the shining star appears. A man is like a briar, covers himself with With a hay and a hoe and a bottle of rum And everybody put your thumb in your bum And, and you love and dance and you come for run And you get me a, 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 a fucking chalice of rum This is a sire song yeah. This is a definitely <laughs> This is a Gerald Whipplecoat song This is something that's played before a beheading Maybe before or after the beheading Like uh, <laughs> Okay everybody Back to the music. I know. The festivities hey, no, can be gone. No. We killed Sir Johnson of Robert. And <laughs> we get Up to dance and we go to play and everyone kill another person. Dun, dun. This is basically about a man's delusions that things are okay, especially when yeah. New Year's rolls around. There is false hope and fake promise. What is the best New Year's you've ever had? Uh, best New Year's I ever had. Uh... You know, I I don't put a lot of stock in the years, but there was one years where it was uh, I was working at the improv. And my wife was good. My well, we were both dressed up. I was working the booth, and Joe Rogan was doing it. And uh, you know, it was when I was starting to get into comedy, and he's just like wished me a happy New Year's and gave me a big hug. And I got to kiss my wife at a, in the Hollywood Improv when I just got into town. I was like making headway, and you know, on New Year's and. It was just a really beautiful moment, and you know the balloons popped from the ceiling, and it was comedy, and I was at the control board, and it was it was a really cool thing. Um, I lived in New York for a, uh, a long time, and New York suck, like New Year's sucks in New York. Well, let's talk about this. What is the yeah. what was the worst New Year's you've ever had? I think there was one New Year's where I was in Mexico where I was 18 and my sister was 15 and I drank way too much and just was like puking and she had to take care of me and I felt really guilty about it because she was like, 
Welcome to adulthood. Your brother's broing up from drinking too many poppers. He's broing up. He's yeah. He's up. I'm bros broing up, growing up, proing up. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. And uh, yeah, so she had to like help me, and it was kind of not a proud moment, but I also do appreciate it if she's listening out there. Shout out to Jill Pearson. Yeah, dude. Uh, best New Year's I ever had. I think it was New Year's in 1995 when I went to... Um I left a party, um, but we went to some girl's house and it sucked. And so I think I got back to my parents' house. You know, I'm only 15 years old and I get back to my parents' house at maybe like 11 p.m. And at 11.30 p.m. that night, they played the movie A Clockwork Orange. And I had never seen it, but my dad talked about it. And I remember watching that movie. And immediately being like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Everything about it. It changed my life. I remember the next day, too, I went out. So on New Year's, I actually went to, with my dad and saw Pulp Fiction. So I saw A Clockwork Orange and Pulp Fiction, like, back to back. And I remember after that, I was like, I want to go to film school. And I did. It was like, I still can pinpoint the exact moment. Those two movies, like, changed my life. Just my 15-year-old, very impressionable. I was like, there's nothing cooler than those two movies. Has he got a friend for me? Yikes. <laughs> what, you think this is yikes? I think it's a beautiful song. It's sad. It's, it's, it's definitely sad. Peter, play uh, minute one, uh, seven seconds in. Has he got a friend? Has he got a friend for me? All I wrote for this was, this is a sad, I put like five A's, sad song, beautiful but sad. Here, Linda sings as a lonely woman at home on a Saturday night who wishes she was with anybody. Yeah, like Elton John's like, Saturday night's all right for fighting. And she's like, Saturday night and I'm all alone. No ring on the doorbell, no ring on the phone, and nobody wants to know anyone lonely like me. Oh my God. God. Yeah, I know. This is a tough one. 
She's wanting... Do you have a friend? I'm a lonely, lonely girl. <laughs> Please I bring fr- anybody. Yeah. I don't care if he's got n- <laughs> three nipples. I'll take I any don't man. don't care if he wears fur or if he's a murderer. Give me any man. I just want someone because I don't want to watch Real Housewives <laughs> on television again. She is just wanting companionship. And she's asking for her friend. They haven't to invented Tinder. Because it's not the right song. Basically, this is uh, her just wanting to ask one of her friends, uh, whose boyfriend is wonderful, if she or if he can set her up with one of his friends. Yeah. This uh, this is so mawkish and pathetic that it's really no deeper meaning or nuance. (laughs) This is literally what it's about. Please. What was your dating life like before you got married? It's good. Yeah, I I met. um, You know, I was I wasn't like the guy that like could get any girl at any given point i was like the best friend that like you know met the nice girls and would date them and go out with them and just be very respectful and like after you know it wasn't working out after a while we'd break up and i was i was it was it was good i had a long relationship my longest relationship before my wife was like three years and two years before that and then like a series of two months like it was just i've had a very very good run before my wife you know were you a slut at any point in your life? Like, were you very, were you, were you sowing your royal oats? Uh, I wanted to be more of a slut than I was able to be. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, get, I wasn't at that. I was, I wasn't the alpha male. I was the beta male. You, uh, you know, are. My friends beta. were. You were might the, be Delta. <laughs> my friends were the, were the big guys. I was always the best friend. You ate, you, one of your friends, you had a friend though that, tell me about him. Uh, so I grew up with Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen, everybody. Yeah. The Darth Vader. Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. But then he, he becomes Darth Vader. He becomes Darth. Yeah. 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 Was that tough having a friend that you achieve your dreams before uh, you? Not at just, age no, 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 no. I'm going to talk about that. He was probably women were probably oh, throwing themselves at him. Absolutely. From a very early age, like I remember, he was one of the situations in grade seven. I still remember when people were hooking up with. We're like trying to get to him when we were in grade seven together. He's like squatting, picking up his books, and this girl walks by. She's like, "Do you want to be my?" This was like one of the hottest girls in grade seven. And she's like, do you want to, do you want to be my boyfriend? He's like, okay. And like, just like that. And it was like, literally like stuff was handed to him like that. What like was her platter. name? Do you remember her name? Mel O'Hearn. Ooh. Like God, Mel was gorgeous. I bet. She was. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's a, she's she was beautiful. the Michelle Gilliam of your, of your oh, class. Yeah. A classic game. We had Michelle Gilliam was, yeah. Michelle Gilliam was like Got the it. hottest girl. She almost, she tried to. Not to get off topic, but she one time we, we started hanging out when mm-hmm. she was like a senior and I we used to skip class together and then one time she went in my we were in my room and she goes she goes, Josh, what would you do if I if I tried to come on to you? And like a like some dork, I went, oh, I would I would probably be like and I was trying to be funny too. I was probably just say, Thank you very much, but I'm just not interested. Yeah. And she took her shirt off. Wow. And just her bra and she put her tits in my face and she's wow. like, Josh, she's like, I want you to like I wow. want to, I want to like do things to you. Whatever she said, it's very sexualized, and I'm just like uh, uh, uh. And then she goes, I got to go home. And then she went home. She had to be home for dinner. Um, Yikes. Nothing like that ever happened to me. But wait, what was that like, though? I mean, like you you guys were like best friends together. And I mean, to like to to see your best friend being thrown everything Mm. and then you being like, was that hard on you? Well, he worked. He worked hard for all this stuff. He was always uh, he was a, a kid actor and he was also amazing at all this. Like, just imagine like just the most popular kid in your school that was star of the track team basketball dated all the girls and then he landed all these roles growing up so like he really was just getting 
everything. Like it was unbelievable. He worked hard, but it was just, it was just, it was like he was a golden, he was a golden child, like a true golden child that got everything and everything. I don't want to say it came easy because I know he worked hard, but uh, I mean, the, the what it was like a one in ten thousand to get that po- part of like every. I mean, the people against him to get Darth Vader were. Leonardo DiCaprio, Colin Hanks, and someone else I forget. And I mean, he at that point he wasn't at that level and he got it. I mean, it was just it was unbelievable to watch. He's the kind of kid that you grow up and go, Oh, he's never gonna have to have any problems making money or being successful, whatever else he deals with in his life. But he was just like truly gifted and talented. He was very good. And so you kind of went like, This is great. This is great for Hayden and what about Avery? <laughs> what about Avery? What Did you ever get any of his, his fall off pussy? No. What? Yeah, you did, dude. I mean, uh, there's gorgeous women like yeah. probably around. I mean, there there had to be like yeah. some fall off pussy. Uh, at his birthday, maybe we went to Vegas once, and he brought all of his friends, and like there was just like the girls that didn't get to the star, and and they like <laughs> would turn to me, and I'd be like, huh? <laughs> I'm pretty sweaty. <laughs> I do, I only have type three diabetes yeah. right now. I'm on my way. <laughs> I have twenty dollars in my pockets for my parents. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah, that would be the closest to fall off. But it yeah, it was uh, it was it was an incredible thing to see, you know, one of your best friends just like blow up every day, like. Every month it was a new thing, and he was on a he was on a soap opera when he was a kid. He was in movies with Sam O'Neill when he was growing up, and it was just it was just unbelievable. It was like, oh yeah, he'll get that. Oh, he'll do this. Oh, he'll do that, and he did. I once went on a commercial audition with him because I needed a ride, and he at that time had some roles and like had this like cool old school nineteen eighty six Jaguar XJSC. And uh, he drove me downtown and he's like, uh, dropped me off at the commercial and he's like, I'll just wait out here. I'm like, no, come in. Biggest mistake of my life. Well, he got it. Yeah. He walked in. The commercial director was like, Hayden, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm just, I'm with my friend Avery and he's being totally honorable about it. She's like, oh, well, do you want to come in and audition? And he's like, I sure. And he booked it. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> And he goes like, well, maybe it's because they wanted someone with blonde hair. And I'm like, I would have dyed my hair. He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, he was just, it was like that. That That is is a perfect example of my experience growing up with Darth Vader. Well, guess what? That brings us to... Well, I'm only a poor little beggar girl. You're, that's what you are in that relationship with Hayden. You're the poor little beggar girl. <laughs> little scraps, just take scraps, yeah. This is called Poor Little... No, not Poor Little. It's The Little Beggar Girl oh. is the actual title of it. Hello, I'm only a poor little beggar girl. I actually wrote... This is this might be my one of my favorite songs on the album. Okay. Uh, this, this sounds like the most uh, traditional Irish folk jig. It's bouncy and it's boozy. And reminds me of the street urchin kids from the musical Oliver. It's very, very fun, man. Peter, play a minute to second 11. Oh, no, they will be 
This sounds like something that we would write. Here's a line. I'll dance with my peg leg wiggling at the knee And I'll play on the accordion my father gave to me For it's well worth it all to please a gent such as thee For I'm only a poor little bag Is that, she's a cripple, she's dancing, and she just wants love That's all she wants, man Is it a metaphor or is it an actual crippled girl? Um, you know, oh, the poor uh, they'll be rich <laughs> and the rich will be poor. That's according to Saul. When who's Saul? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. Um, this is very good, like Renaissance music. This is what yeah. the Renaissance reminds me of. But on the basis, on just the basis of what this is about, this is about money, man. That's what it is it's about trying to make a living. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with money like? Um, I've never made an, uh, you know, I was always very, like my parents, uh, my dad's a lawyer, so there was, you know, they always, they did well, and um, for me, I've been able to go after and chase my dreams, like, you know, any times it got a little rough, I, I didn't really have to worry about it. Um, I was always concerned to make money. That's always been a constant thing in my head. But like, there wasn't a moment where I'm like, well, I might be a homeless. Like, that was never going to be. That was never. You're the the richest, richest poor, poor person guy. I've ever met in my life. Is he goes to fucking like Hawaii twice? He would be. You would call me and you'd be like, "Dude, I just fucking. I don't know what I'm going to do, man. Like, if I don't book this thing, like I'm going to be out on this. Yeah, hold on for a second, Josh." Yeah, I'll have uh, the luau's in 10 minutes. All right, perfect. Yeah, I just don't know what I'm going to do, Josh. <laughs> but you, I mean, you, so you've never had to struggle in your whole life, had you? That's not true. That's not true. I've never I've never had to. The idea that. I've the, never been homeless. I've never been on the street. True, but I'm talking about the idea that you might be. You There's never that kind of. There, you've always had a like a net. I've always known that I wasn't going to be homeless. I've always worked hard to avoid the point where I would have to ask for money. There were times over the years where I've been able to be like saved uh, by my parents, you know, like get a, get a month float here and there, like especially as a young artist in New York, it was tough, but I've also worked a million jobs. I used to bark, you know, comedy shows in Times Square for three years. I stood in the cold in New York. I was a real estate agent. I was a waiter. I was a bar back. I've done a lot of stuff. So it's not this picture of like I'm fucking sitting with a golden belly made of pasta. Although I remember there I, is a belly made of pasta. I remember one time when I first moved to Los Angeles and I was I was I had this weird shock. I was walking me and my friend had just smoked pot in his apartment off a of Seward and and like sunset. And we walked to the seven eleven and I remember as we're we were walking out of the seven eleven, I've seen I mean, this guy was like, and not to be mean, this guy was probably, you know, 99 percentile homeless guy, like just like just looked like what you would think a homeless guy, just dirt on him. And he was like just all raggedy. And he was like outside of the 7-Eleven with his arm out, like almost sitting in a ditch, like looking at us, asking for money. And I remember as I walked away, I was like, this is the this is the choice. I could either I could either end up like that guy or I could fucking really work hard. I, I understand what you're saying about that drive, but I've had enough lack of success in my life that I'm a fueled creator and a fueled worker, and I don't need that to push me. I'm self-motivated. And so, like, I always, I do, like, feel that a lot, some people, 
who come who don't who don't have anything and are like working off of homelessness. I've I've heard in times that they might have disdain for someone who has you know a house to fall back on like my parents house if I went when I moved back to Toronto that was part of that that was part of that was like I'm just not making it right now or you know having a little extra cash to get through a month or whatever and I understand how that would be hard to hear when you're struggling and I wouldn't wish to like I everyone has their own journey and um we all have lessons to live and the, some of the richest people in the world are the most unhappy and some of the poorest are the happiest. And it's sort of, you know, have, there's been times where people haven't wanted to do stuff. Well, it doesn't matter. No, finish your thought. There's been times when people didn't want to do stuff with me because they'll see that like, I don't know, like I have a nice life. Like I have a happy home and I'm not struggling. I'm happy. I want to be happy. I don't want to struggle. And I've made a life for myself where I work hard, we pay our bills. They're just jealous. That's yeah, all I it know. is. It's I like, know. And it's, listen, I'm not going to say, I'm not gonna sit here and say that like, I don't get jealous when I see you guys go on a vacation that's bomb. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, it's just, it, it is what it is. That's your journey. And, and, yeah. and if that person is really going to, you know, get jealous of, of you and your wife having like a happy life and a happy home. Yeah. I mean, that's on that person. Like you can't yeah. bet the best advice I've ever gotten was take your own test. Mm-hmm. Just take your own test. You know it. You know what to do. Yeah. Just do the work, create and just fucking get the answers, man. Yeah. But get the answers doing you doing the studying for it. Like that's it. Yeah. You know, and listen, not, there's a there's a lot of people. I here's here's my point. I grew up thinking that like people that had parents that were in the industry that they had it easy and first of all growing up in the industry is really difficult because there's a lot of there's a lot of drugs uh there's a lot of privilege and you don't always end up so balanced at all you're you're warped a lot of the time and especially in the 80s and 90s and i you know my parents wanted to help me to a point but they couldn't like help me break into the industry i've had to earn every spot i've gotten by off of ability and and hard work daddy can you put me on Days of Our Lives? No, I'm a lawyer in <laughs> Toronto. But Daddy, I want to be on, uh, I don't know any Canadian TV shows, Degrassi Junior High. Can well, you put me on that, Daddy? No, we don't represent them. But Daddy. You're going to have to make your own way, Avery. <laughs> Fine. I just think like it's uh, everyone has their challenges. And uh, what's the thing that Jesus said about judgment? Don't do it. Perfect. The end of the rainbow. Another happy hymn. I mean, <laughs> I just wrote uh, this. Could, this song could make somebody want to abort themselves. <laughs> this bleak lullaby from hell is a depressing but often honest rumination on new fatherly advice. Here's it, how this song kicks off. I feel for you, you little horror. Yeah, no, it's dark as fuck, dude. Safe at your mother's breast. No lucky break for you around the corner because your father is a bully and he thinks you're a pest and your sister, she's no better than a whore. But, but, but it gets better. (laughs) Who are these people she's meeting? Life seems so rosy in the cradle, but I'll be a friend. I'll tell you what's in store. There's nothing at the end of the rainbow. There's nothing to grow up for anymore. I mean, that's that's good fatherly advice. We just get just you set him up for like you set him up for like basic uh, nihilistic views right from the jump. What's the best advice you ever got from your dad? Uh, Work hard and, and specialize and be the best at what you do. 
which is sort of what I've done. You know, he was, you know, he, he competition can be fierce no matter where you work, but if you specialize and you're the best at it, then you'll always work because they'll always need someone who's the best at something. Yeah. That's probably the best professional advice. The most important advice that he'll ever, that he ever gave me, and he would say this, the most important advice I'll ever give you is the most important decision you'll ever make is who's going to be your partner. And that's true. You know, whoever you're going to end up, your wife, your husband, or whatever, or your lecka dog, the most important decision you'll ever make is who that is. And I won that. So everything else is just whatever. No, I get it. Gravy. Uh, but you just became a dad a couple of years ago. How is how has being a, a parent changed your life? Uh, I'm a lot tired. <laughs> no, it, uh, I, I've I've grown. Everything about me has grown. I've become more grounded and and happier. And my creativity. I I've actually become a better worker because I can only work in short amounts of time. So I have to like pack it in and and be fastidious, very and thir- quick and fastidious. Thorough. Jesus Christ. I, I love that you think that I would know that. I, I know your listeners are intelligent. I don't think the host is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dum-dum. <laughs> I'm, a I'm, a dr- I'm a drunkard. <laughs> I'm a wacky doodly. <laughs> I'm a scoodly do. I got a funny face and a weird smell. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I smell good. You got a little weird stuff. You're, you, you're a, you have horrible breath. Dude, that's a... Do I? <laughs> I'm very self-conscious about you it. You have the toastless. No, it's all right. Dude, we were doing the rehearsal the other night. I was like, oh, God damn. Avery's got that, like... You got that, like fucking lentil bean breath <laughs> yeah the veggie <laughs> it's, breath it's yeah, veggie yeah, breath, tough, which is rough dude yeah well <laughs> thanks for that but what so how is how is being a dad changed you uh yeah i'm i all those reasons i i my life is fuller i have this beautiful son everything's great okay but you're you're a very uh i don't want to say let me see if i can how i can put this how a piece of shit. No, but I just think because you're a very pleasant person. You're about positivity. But how are you going to be open and realistic about the challenges and horrors of life uh, to your children? How are you going to explain that kind of stuff to them? You talk to them like, an, like a normal person, like a human being. You know, you don't make up stories. You don't like, you know, the Santa thing like he's coming, you know, be naughty or nice. You know, just be like, you know, be a good person. Good things will happen. You know, like. You have to be, you have to talk to them like they're a human being and, and explain things to them so that there's no like, that didn't make any sense. Why'd you say that? You know, where's mommy? Oh, she's off. Um, she's playing with fairies. No, she's at work. Mom's at work. Uh, no, daddy's going to go to work. And, and when we're away, he understands that. Oh, daddy's at work. Okay, great. He doesn't know what I do at work. I don't think I know what I do at work. I think anyone knows, but he's, he understands what I'm doing. Yeah, dude. I was talking about like a bunch, you know, things in the world like oh. racism and mm-hmm. and you know heavier stuff. Like that's oh, what yeah. I'm saying. Like, how are you gonna like you, yeah. sex? Like all, all drugs? Like all this shit? That's what I'm talking about. How are you gonna talk to your kid about that stuff? I'm just gonna be honest and talk about it as best I can. Do my do my best. You know, like that's all I can do. You know that. Exactly how I'm talking now. Like people, some people have more, some people have less. There's people in the world that don't have really tough intentions, and and they're doing some bad things out there. And that's not what we do in this family. And we we're nice to people, and we share, and we love people, and the people that don't have their own journeys to do, and we wish them the best. And you know, but I think the hardest thing is like you know, and like a 
when hard things are going on in the world or tough political climates around or, you know, you, people get wrapped up in it and, um, you know, you want to affect change, but you also like want to live a good life and be happy. And, you know, I think that's sort of the best words of wisdom is, you know, have an opinion, be well read, travel the world and come back if you can. That's good advice. In reference to the darkness of Richard's music, which is chock full in this song, Richard said, there's always hope in the third verse of my songs, which I guess is true because it does. they all tend to not be so tragic uh, towards the end of each song. Where do you find hope? First of all, I could not identify that verse in this song. The last thing is, life seems so rosy in the cradle, but I'll be a friend and I'll tell you what's in store. There's nothing at the end of the rainbow. There's nothing to grow up for anymore. Where's the positivity? I mean, What's the question? Where do you find hope? <laughs> right here on the 500 podcast. I I try to do... Th- I Here's where I find hope. I am pursuing my life's purpose. That's where I find hope. I'm, I'm always trying to get move forward and and be the best performer or or work hard or do cool stuff like i'm always moving forward in in my life's purpose that's where i find hope where do you find hope uh where do i find out turkey meat now i i've just always believed that i'm gonna be okay i i just i've always known even when i was a when i was like a raver drug addict Mm. i was like i'm gonna be a comic I'm going to make movies. I'm going to do all that stuff. And then even when I was starting comedy and nobody thought I was funny, I was like, I know how good I'm going to be. You just have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to believe that you it's that it's, that it's possible. Everything is possible. You just literally have to just know that you can do it and then you will be able to do it. That's it. Mm. All right, that's the last song on the record, The Great Valerio. Oh, it's a beautiful song. Although the album's last track sparsely features only Richard's acoustic picking and Linda's voice, you can almost hear the implied drum roll in the way this song fucking rolls. Lyrically, Mm. it starts off as a tale about this great circus tightrope walker, but then it seems to be more about the crowd watching. Mm. Then it becomes a metaphor of tightrope walking as it relates to love. Mm. And then ultimately, it becomes about how precarious relationships can be and how one misstep can lead to their demise. Uh, Peter, play minute two, second 50, because the guitar is haunting. This album is just beautiful. 
I mean, regardless if it's dark, it's a dark record. This album is fucking yeah. beautiful. We haven't talked enough about the musicality of it. It's just the way that his chord progressions go and the way that he makes his the melodies out of his instruments. And they're part of the song. That's what I was saying before. It's like... It's equal parts lyrics and music. It's just it's an it's an energy that you get from the experience and like, yeah, you do have to sit down to lyrics to hear a lot of it because it's slow spoken and like sort of, it drifts with its. Uh, it's very its drippy. It's, yeah. it's a drippy album. Yeah. That's when Jackie Tone kept saying that. I was like, oh, that's this record. Yeah. You yeah. know, very drippy. Yeah, and so it's. It's it's just the the music of it. If you just guys just listen to it, I mean, this is a great joint album. This is a great weed album. You just like smoke a huge joint, just go whoa. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. I think it's, you know, I, I, I listened to it on a hike. I think it, it it's, this album isn't just for like getting high. This is a, but it's it just, is. it's just a, Two. it's a very beautiful record, but, yeah. and to end this is like almost like in this sad minor circus tune, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's put this album, put a button on it. I mean, it's, it's cause there's a little bit of uplifting stuff in this, you know, the great Valerio is this, you know, incredible, inspiring person, mm-hmm. you know, who would be your great Valerio? My inspiring person? Sure. My dad. My dad was, he's a, extremely intelligent and caring and loving and loves my mom and has been very successful and seems to have done it right. I mean, that's been the person, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I've had a great relationship with him and that he's been an amazing role model and, you know, also, you know, you also like learn when your parents are, are human, you know, and my moment came when we are big Buffalo Bills fans and four Super Bowls in a row and you look to your dad can you fix this and he just can't and that's when you know your dad's human yeah um, but also it's about it's about being fallen or pushed in a relationship when have what relationship have you fallen or been pushed from uh, a relationship I've well my relationship with my, my wife we broke up uh, we were together in New York and I moved to Toronto and she moved to LA and uh, I, we tried to keep it together, but after about 10 days, she was doing her own thing and she had to explore her own stuff. And I ended up uh, having a mental breakdown <laughs> and I was just like, d- just devastated. And um, yeah, that was pretty crushing. And I, and I really, it was interesting because we did it all the right way. We were friends and then we were in a relationship and then we broke up and I had to like refine myself and I actually I don't know if I've ever grown. I haven't grown so much as that year when we had broken up to come back and be a more full person to be with her was pretty tremendous. So I I was actually, I wouldn't have it any other way because I've just grown up because of the experience. It was beautiful. Good. That's great. Thanks. And actually one thing that they do is in the re-release of this album in 2004, there's a track called Together Again. And it's so super positive and upbeat that you just kind of go, 
Oh, they listened to it and went, God, this is a sad album. We ran it We need to add something else. Yeah, something. Um, so listen to that track on the 2004 release. Do you want to do some facts? Sure. Well, I'm just a faxy, faxy boy. All right. In 1982, Richard and Linda went on a very successful but emotionally stressful tour for their last album together, Shoot Out the Lights. The album is basically Richard's description of the relationship unraveling and the couple was breaking up during the tour. It got so bad that it was unofficially named the Kick in the Shins tour for how Linda would take out her rage on stage with Richard. Oh. Yeah, dude. Uh, what's the worst breakup you've ever been through? The, uh, like the actual... A- breaking up of it my wife i mean that that one i was you know like when she broke up with me and i was just completely devastated and she was moving to la she was in la i was in toronto moved back in with my parents totally like sad sack living above their bathroom and just like had no money no prospects no projects had my friends like a few friends in toronto we were some of my best friends but uh, I was just helpless and, you know, I think she was going to be dating another guy and it was just like, I was just completely lost and devastated and I just ended up like working out a lot. I worked out like, I did two a days. I would like run for an hour and then I would like work out for an hour and then I would only eat meat for like two months and I was just a mess. My skin was gray. I was drinking. I mean, I was lost a lot of weight. I guess I looked good or something. But, like, I was a mess. That just destroyed me. Yeah. That was bad. Shortly after the Shoot Out the Lights tour, Linda lost the ability to sing after she developed spasmodic dysphonia a disorder that causes the voice-generating muscles in a person's throat to spasm uncontrollably and can lead to a state similar to laryngitis. I think that's what I had when I had to have all those jaw surgeries. Yeah, dude. Besides physical strain, spasmodic dysphonia, I'm not saying that right, can often be brought out on by depression and anxiety. It took her two years to regain her voice. Have you ever had any physical reaction to stress or anxiety? Um, sure. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm in therapy. I'm stressed, you know, I was stressed out for a long time and, um, I was just like really out of sorts, like about six months ago or whatever, just not myself overwhelmed with responsibilities at home and trying to make it and just, you know, I mean, I can imagine what that must've been like. I mean, she must've been through such an, after that tour, that she went on with him acting out on stage and then gets this like disease. I mean, like God, that must've been devastating. And for a singer, like if you break your guitar, you can go get another guitar. If you break your fingers, you can't play piano, you know, like something like that's gotta be, it must've been devastating for you during just for laughs. When when you lost your voice. Yeah. So, so what happened everybody was that I, was DJing at the strip club and uh, a mutual friend, Robbie Praw, uh, who is the head of JFL, was like, I'm bringing you out there to do a week of shows. It's going to be awesome. He didn't even see it. And we're like, a comedy week jam. To, to yeah. Do the goddamn comedy jam. And then, like, the week before we were leaving, I just lost my voice. And I went to the doctor and he, you know, scoped my throat and he couldn't see what was wrong with it. He just, he saw it was wrong. He just, it's swollen and inflamed. And he's like, but I don't know why. 
and then uh, just gave me a bunch of prednisone, and and then I had to go to JFL. I mean, I did the one show, and my voice was just gone. And the next morning, and we still had five more nights of it. And I remember I went right to the ENT in Montreal, and you know, paid like two hundred bucks, and they gave me a shot. And then I had to go back like a couple of days later and do another shot. And then I dealt with that for literally July until February, I think, the next year. Um, because that was when I had the vocal cord surgery because I had to go constantly to the ENT. Now, also, I was snorting drugs. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't eating right. You know, I was on steroids. Like, I was on a whole bunch of shit, dude. So I was just completely, like, killing myself. And then I had the surgery, and my vocal cords got better. And then I quit doing drugs a few months later, and then that, they haven't. And now I get enough sleep, and I take care of myself. That's not saying I don't lose my voice. But not nearly. Like, I mean, that was crazy. I mean, I remember you were just like that panicked look in your eyes was terrible. Well, I was that was back when I thought God hated me. <laughs> you know, I was like that was my mantra. That's because of my mom. My mom gave me that mantra: just God hates us. That's you know, terrible. and it's like yeah, it's terrible to believe that. But that was I. I thought God will hate you if you continue to say that. Yeah, but I mean, well, you know, first of all, there's no such thing. Second sure. of all, um, you're God. I am God, and you'll you're hate God. yourself if you keep saying God hates me. I don't talk bad about myself anymore. I mean, I, I just mm-hmm. if I drop something, I don't call myself a fucking idiot anymore, which I used to. It's like oh, you really? gotta, yeah. You, I used to, you, you like when I break something, I'd be like you fucking idiot. Or if you oh do my something, God. you never did that. You listen to too much Linda Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> Both Richard and Linda have had sporadic solo career high points. Although often overshadowed by Richard's compositional achievements, Linda is a Grammy-winning composer for Telling Me Lies, which was recorded by Linda Ronstadt, Emmylou Harris, and Dolly Parton for their trio album. Are you the type of person that can be proud of other people's successes? I mean, I want to... think so i'm happy for people to have success but i also have a drive in me so it's you know but i i mean i even with the hayden thing growing up with him and the the level of success he had i mean it's it's hard not to be like so happy for you dude but what about me you know like we're doing the same thing it's yeah. it's really difficult to like navigate that you know obviously I, you want your friends to like i want you to have a show i want you to have comedy jam i want you to have a su- successful podcast but but I you know I get it. But did did he ever like? Did he ever like like I don't know like did he help you like at all like or did you know did he want to see you succeed as well? Yeah, I mean he he got me my first agent in Toronto, um, and when I moved out to L.A., he put me up in a house, he, his house, gave me a car for a bit. You know, like I he was really helpful in that kind of way. Um, in the sense of like, did he like get me a role in the movie or a TV show? No. Um, so that's sort of obviously, you know, you don't want to be like, well, do this for me. But like, you know, if it was someone you grew up with, that's something I deal with and it's not something I'm proud of. I would like to have a better perspective on that of like, well, this means I'm just going to go and get it myself. But like when you're that close to success, when you're that close to someone doing well, you sort of think like oh maybe this will help me too i mean you know even with comedy jam right like you were able to get us a web series on comedy central through that and you brought you know they could have been like who the hell is avery pierce you're like no we're doing this and so they brought you i graduated uh acting school in montreal like my degree and hayden 
I was my Hayden was my friend and um I just thought like I was going to the good things were going to happen. I mean I am also related to Lauren Michaels and you know yeah, I forget, you you I always forget that. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be on SNL so bad. I mean, I do. I mean, of course I do, but it's, you know, like I do, but he's he's a second cousin. He helped me get my green card. It's he's probably the major reason why I'm here. But like, you know, asking for that favor is like, can you imagine? I mean, it would be a great opportunity, but can you imagine being in the cast and they're like, who is this kid? Oh, it's Lauren's nephew or something. Like, that's not the way to make it. No, I understand, but you know, obviously, I don't think he'd put you on unless you weren't where it wasn't worth a shit you know what i mean like you have to be good of course but even the ask i don't feel like i've i mean i've auditioned for them without them knowing this fact and i didn't move forward i was you know so cool that's that's fine that i wouldn't want i don't want that kind of thing because that's such, such a high level that's such a everything is is clear like you know all these people lives how they got there and i don't want that to be written in my story for better or worse. It's a little bit of that privilege thing where it's like, I want to make it myself, you know, like hopefully they don't hear this podcast and like go and throw me off the show. <laughs> Lord, but I, I, I is a huge <laughs> police army member. He's I mean, a sergeant. I'm Fleece sure there's army. people that are on the show that listen to it, but my, I would love to be a music writer on the show. I'd love to write comedy songs. I'm qualifying myself for that. And I don't want it to be a thing where he, it's not like he's a first cousin. He's like a, a distant cousin that hooked me up with a green card letter. Like, He's a man. She did a great thing. But I don't want that to be the reason that I got stuff in this world. I'm working hard. I've like, after having watched, I guess what I'm saying is like, after having watched six Hayden succeed like that, I want to like sort of earn it myself, especially in the creative world where it's really about who you are and what you're giving. You don't want to like just be gifted things. You know, I guess it would be nice to be like a lead on a show that some relative created, but like, That'll be fleeting. You still have to be good. You can get opportunities. People can open the door, right? Like you've you've helped open the door for me in a lot of ways, and I've and I've been able to run with it in a lot of ways. You know, like you got me into multiple festivals, and then I and I was just playing piano. I wasn't doing comedy, but then I developed my own show back on the home front, uh, the eighty eight show, and was able to get it into festivals. That's how you do it. You know, you don't like, I don't know. You got to earn it. Yeah, I agree. especially for creative stuff, because who the hell wants to hear someone's perspective? I mean, what we do is all about like my perspective and what I think about things. And I don't want people to be like, oh, what he thinks about things is he's related to a famous person or he's best friends with Hayden Christensen or he was he was Lauren Michaels. You know, maybe I should talk about it more because it's just like such a. a oh, you definitely should. dude. Know? But I, I, I think like that's a really that's a really good point is that, you know, I don't want to. And it, you don't want it that way. It's not. It's not right. The stuff that I'm too. I love this. I love this career and what I'm doing so much. I don't want to scorn it with like relative favors and bullshit. You know. Oh, and I, I know this. T- this town is all about uh, who you know and all that kind of stuff, and that is true. But I've been in the situation where even with the Hayden, with the first rep I had, she was great. But every time I'd meet the rep, like, how's Hayden doing? It's like I don't want to talk about Hayden. I don't want to talk. I when people ask me I, the reason, one of the reasons I don't talk about Hayden or the Lauren thing is because like I don't want to talk about it. I, I really don't. You, you know, you're interested to talk. What if you grew up with Eddie Vedder? I'd be like, Hey, dude, hi. What's Eddie Vedder? I, I want to talk to you, and I want people to talk to me. I don't want them to talk to the guy that grew up with this kid or the guy that's related to this person. I think it's just very interesting because we don't know a lot about him. Well, you know what I mean, that's fine, but I don't want to talk about it. 
because I've talked about it my entire life, and people always ask me questions. Then then getting off topic. Yeah. Um, Has Hayden ever screwed you over in a fun way? Oh, I know. You want me to tell this story? I want you to tell this story because I think it's so funny. So when we were kids, we were 12. Okay, let me preface this when we were 12. So Hayden and I went to an arts elementary school together, and it was the time of the year when you're doing speeches, you know, and then if you did well in the speech in your classroom, you get to go to the gym and do the speech in front of the whole school, that kind of thing, just for grades, but also a little bit of public speaking experience, whatever. So my idea was I wanted to do a speech on sign language and I was going to tell the story of how sign language came about and who created it and Braille and all that kind of stuff and do it speaking, but in sign language and Pretty yeah. pretty good idea. That's an A plus project. That's right an A there, plus dude. project right there for in, in I think sixth grade. And his idea was he wanted to do a speech on superstitions. What's the speech? Here's a bunch of superstitions. Whatever. There's nothing really to There's it. There's a lot there. Yeah. There's a lot there. Okay. Superstition. It's not sign language. No, it's not you, sign if language. If you want to learn sign yeah. language to do that, yeah, that's a great great so, idea. And I think he'd get a kick out of this too. He knows the story. So one day I'm there and he knows that I have the good idea. And he comes over to me. He's like, hey, well, what are you working on? I was like, oh, I'm doing the sign language because he had seen me signing. Yeah. And I go, and he's like, oh, oh, boy. I go, what? He's like, you're doing sign language? I go, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just going to tell the speech. I'm going to do this in sign language. And he's like, man, I don't know if that's going to go so well for you. Go, what do you mean? It's a great idea. He's like, I'm going to be honest, man. It's not a good idea. Wow. <laughs> you should maybe not do it and i go oh okay and i was a very like sweet kid so i'm like this is my friend telling me i shouldn't do something so i'm listening to oh him. man you know and hayden knows hayden knows he's on that he's on uh, uh, uh he's Ch- on Ch- kachunka square that's it's the hottest <laughs> show in toronto canada <laughs> he's on a soap opera he, he knows present so he's like i'll tell you what dude i got a great idea i'll take the hit for you you do superstitions and i'll do sign language you know, superstitions like step on a crack, break your mother's back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seven years, bad luck. Don't get married. You know, all that. And I was like, oh, that is kind of cool. And he goes, yeah, I'll do sign language. So we did. We switched. I ended up doing the superstitions thing. He did sign language. I get a B minus. He gets a, an A plus. He's with in the stickers on it. Probably. With, sti- with gold stickers. He's in the gym. He's signing in front of the entire school. And I'm just like the whole school, the whole school. So, yeah, because that, that's the whole thing is that you like you do well in the class and then you do well and then you go down to the gym and you can do it in front of the whole school. And that was a very good example of me just eating. It. <laughs> you got a B. I got a B minus. What did you say? You were like breaking mothers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, superstition affects all of us. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah, superstition. Uh, Affects all of us. Oh boy, you ever get paranoid? How uh, much were you sweating during that? Probably. I was a sweaty kid. I still am a sweaty. Still kid. are a sweaty kid. Yeah. But you know what? There's nobody that I love more oh, thanks, uh, than you. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. An Avery Pearson, Avery, and he is Avery Pearson. 
at Avery Pearson, guys, on all social media. Also, if you want to follow his podcast, it's at Emmer Effers Podcast. And also at The 88 Show on Instagram and Twitter to find out all the information about his podcast and about The 88 Show. Also, check out Historical Roasts on Netflix, guys. It comes out May 27th. It's hysterical. Avery is a big part of it. Uh, so get the show a second season. I'll be posting his mixtape track listing link as soon as I get it in from him. And for all things 500, like to find all the mixtapes and the blogs and all the other shit that we're doing over here on this, this motherfucking train, this fleece train, uh, you can find it all at the500podcast.com. And if you want to talk to me, talk shit, I don't care. Just maybe tell me what how you're feeling for the day. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. If you listen to this podcast, follow me. Especially on Instagram. I want to get my followers up. Get them followers up. Make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. Also, give it a five-star rate and review if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, man. Seriously, just go leave a goddamn comment, man. Be be nice. Follow my main man, Morty, at DJ Morty Coyle. And check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing songs from around the world. And you can find that at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to Richard and Linda Thompson from 1974. Now, here is an artist that was directly influenced by this record. From Austin, Texas, we have David Ramirez with his song Watching from a Distance. It's a great song, man. I listened to this like six times today. And if you are in a band and your music was directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 send us your song to the 500 podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line next week is LL Cool J week with his 1985 debut album radio so y'all got some homework to do thank you so much Fleesters, I fucking love you. Fleece Army, you're my favorite. Stay fleecy. Yeah.
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Next Chapter Podcasts.